I, I live in a country in East Asia with three million people. Um, many of those are nomadic herdsmen who still live in a vast wilderness where the gospel has never been able to penetrate. And they live in a structure called a gare. It's a large round felt tent that they can pick up and move. Many of these families move you know, up to 11 times in a year and just pack everything up and, and put it on a camel and we'll move across the country. It is a passion of mine to be able to take the gospel to those who've never had the opportunity to hear the name of Christ. How we do that is we, through National Believers, we're able to meet physical needs and in ways that shows the love of Christ. Whether it's by replacing a gear that's been burned down, um, giving coal in the wintertime whenever it's negative 40 degrees outside um, and they have nothing to heat their home, whether it's giving hay to herdsmen to be able to keep their livestock alive. Um, these things are just a small part of what we do to show the love of Christ in a way to open up the door to be able to share the gospel. Meeting their physical needs can open up doors um, to these families. And through that, we're able to share creation to Christ and then move that into them being able to hear discipleship lessons and and finally with the end goal of, of seeing churches in some of these areas that have never never been able to experience the gospel. Through this, we've been able to see um, herdsmen come to know Christ, to accept Him. We're able to see them being baptized in a vast wilderness. It's because of your giving through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering that we're able to go to these places. We're able to, to share the gospel with these people who've never had a chance to hear. video ends by saying, because of your generosity, we're able to go to share the gospel with people who have never had the chance to hear. I've watched that video numerous times, and it still gets me that someone would be willing to move to a place like that and live in a desolate area like that for the sake of the gospel. We didn't see the missionary space for security purposes. We likely will never know his name. But it, the important thing is not that we know his name. The important thing is that the people around the world are going to have the chance. The people in that area of Southeast Asia are going to have the chance to know the name of Jesus. Even the nomadic herdsmen who live in the barren wilderness of East Asia deserve a chance to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today is the first message in a series called The Story of Christmas. The whole idea behind this series is that the story of Christmas is the greatest story this world has ever seen. 
It is a fascinating, life-changing, eternity-altering story. It's a story that most of us are familiar with. In fact, it's a story that most of us are very familiar with. We know all about the shepherds and the star and the wise men and the angels. We've seen the Christmas plays. We've sent the Christmas cards. We've sang the Christmas carols. We know the story of Christmas. And yet it is a story that millions in the world have never heard. I want that to sink in today. I want that to burden your heart. It is a story that we know so well that millions of people in the world have never heard. I want to give you today some disturbing numbers. I want to tell you some things that ought to disturb you. I want to show you on the screen some disturbing numbers. Here's the first one. The world population now stands at 7.5 billion people. 7.5 billion people. There we go. Out of that 7.5 billion people, 155,252 people are dying around the world each day without Christ. I want to put that into perspective for you. I want you to picture everyone living in Greenville, Anderson, Easley, and Spartanburg dying in one day without Christ. And it happening every day. That's how many people are dying around the world without Christ every day of every week, of every month, of every year. Essentially, the combined totals of Anderson, Greenville, Easley, and Spartanburg. Now, let me give you another disturbing number. There are 5,375 languages spoken locally or globally. 5,375 languages spoken globally. 25% of the spoken languages do not have the Scripture so that they can hear and understand the Gospel. 25% of the languages around the world, they, this thing that you carry in your hand, this thing that you leave in the back of your car, this thing that sits by your bedside every night, this thing that some of you will be reading out of today, this thing that is in your hand, 25% of the world have never had a copy in their hand, in their language. Literally, millions of people around the world lack access to the life-changing message of God's Word. My question for you today is this. When do those numbers become unacceptable? When do we look at those kind of numbers and say, something has to be done? Let me be clear. I am not trying to make you feel guilty. But I am trying to disturb you. There's a reason for that. Stats like this ought to bother us. Stats like this that we see all the time ought to disturb us. I want you to think about this. When you get bothered by something, it usually is the beginning of God doing something through your life to meet a need. Isn't that right? 
You get bothered by something. You see a need and, and you get bothered by it. And that's God's way of, of motivating you to do something to meet that need. Around 1970, Bob Pierce wrote these words in his Bible. He opened up the front of his Bible and he wrote these words, Let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. Bob Pierce, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Bob Pierce had just visited suffering children on a small island in Korea. And he was bothered by what he saw. He was disturbed by what he saw. And he wrote those words in his Bible, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. And that impassioned prayer began to guide him as he founded a ministry called Samaritan's Purse. Last week, we had 1,100 and some boxes up here. Was that last week? Week four last? Recently. Recently, we had all of those boxes up here, and we, and we were sending them out to the nations. And it started with a man who got bothered by something. A man who got disturbed by the sickness and the suffering he saw around the world, in, in the world's poor especially. And he decided to go, with, go to the crisis areas of the world and take food and medicine and most of all the name of Jesus. And Samaritan's Purse earns a hearing of the gospel by going out to meet the needs of the forgotten peoples of the world. But it all started when he got bothered by something that bothered the heart of God. I've just become convinced in recent days that if you want to discover what God wants you to do with your life, Allow him to bother you about something at the deepest level. I want to tell you one of my strong convictions. I have a very strong conviction, and it seems to be getting stronger, that every church and every Christian ought to be bothered by the lostness of the world. Here's why we ought to be bothered by the lostness of the world. It's because God is bothered by the lostness of the world. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Almighty God has the world on His heart. He has the people of the world on His heart. Now, in fact, let me, let me prove it to you. Say this with me. Say it with me. For God so loved the world. Say it. That He gave His... That should not... For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. See, the world is not just the world of churches with steeples and stylish homes and shopping malls. The world includes people in dusty, remote villages of Africa where, where they are held to their charms and fetishes in, in bondage. It's, it includes the world of more than a billion people in India, most of whom bowed down to lifeless Hindu gods in a futile search for blessings and enlightenment. It includes millions of people living in the high-rise buildings of Jakarta and the forgotten peoples of the world living in remote villages that you and I have never even heard of. For God so loved the people of the world that He gave His one and only Son. Not just the people who live in nice houses and, and go to churches with steeples, but the peoples of the world that many people have never seen and, and don't know. God loves the people of the world. God is burdened for the people of the world. That is the message that permeates this Bible you hold in your hand. 
It is a message all through the Bible. And I thought about just taking a long time and just showing you verse after verse after verse, but I, I decided you'd check out on me, so I'm just going to give you six. I want to prove my point with these six verses, God's heart for the nations. Starting in Genesis 22 with Abraham, he says, God said to Abraham, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. From the earliest days, from even the days of Abraham, all nations on earth, God had the world on his heart. First Chronicles 16, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Psalm 67 too, that your ways may be known on earth, that your salvation would be known among the nations. Isaiah 49.6, I'll make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Luke 24, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then Matthew 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to the nations. And then the end will come. There are so many other scriptures we could have used, so many other scriptures we could have looked at that talks about God's heart for the nations. But the one that I want to focus on for a few minutes is found in the book of Revelation. Would you go with me in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7? Revelation chapter 7. Through the Apostle John, God gives us a vision of what the end of the world will look like. And here's what he says. John says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. And notice how this, how this multitude is made up, the kind of people it's made up of. After this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people and language standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. Clearly, as John gives us this insight, this vision of what the world is going to look like, clearly there's going to come a day when people from around the world will be standing before the throne of God and standing before the Lamb of God. And clearly, the gospel, if you read this verse and believe it at all, clearly the gospel is going to be for everybody. I don't mean that everybody's going to be saved, but I do mean that everybody has the, should have the opportunity to be saved. These, there will be people from every cultural, ethnic, linguistic background, people from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language. Ladies and gentlemen, just look up here for a minute. Over in the Life Center, just look here for a moment. I'll tell you something. You can't read this book without seeing God's heart for the world. It's all over this book. God has a heart for the nations. And the question that we have to ask ourselves is, is this one. Do we? Do I? I've got to tell you something that's just been, I've been struggling with this week. As I've, as I've read so much, I've studied so much, I've investigated, I, I've researched, and 
something is breaking my heart about Southern Baptists. Now, I'm not talking about you folks because you folks are good and generous. And We're just collecting the Light and Moon Christmas offering today. There are 47,000 Southern Baptist churches in 47,000 plus Southern Baptist churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. Hear that number again. There are 47,000 churches in the Southern Baptist Convention. And last year, 24,609 of those churches gave zero to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Less than half of our Southern Baptist churches, 22,000 Southern Baptist churches gave to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering last year. Out of 47,000. That's the reason I asked the question. God has the world on His heart, but do we? And I'm not just talking about Mount Airy. I'm just talking about Southern Baptists right now. It's so easy to sit in our padded pews under our beautiful steeple and think everybody has what we, the opportunity that we've had, and they don't. It's so easy to sit where we sit and think everybody knows what we know, and they don't. It's so easy to sing our songs and celebrate Christmas and think that everybody knows that story. And they don't. They don't even know the name Jesus. Much less the Christmas story. God has a heart for the nations. And He wants us to have a heart for the nations too. How do I know that? Go into all the world and preach the gospel, they said. Go make disciples of all nations, beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. God has a heart for the nations. He wants us to have that heart as well. Now, let me be clear about something. When I'm talking about nations, I'm not talking necessarily about political countries like America and Spain and China. And Most of the time in the Bible, when you read the word nations, it's not that kind of a nation. It's not talking about a a political area or or a country like we would think of it. Most of the time in the Bible, when you read the word nation or nations, it's referring to a people group. People group. A people group who share a common language. They share a common culture. There are people groups scattered around the world. For example, just in China, there are 60 different people groups that make up the Chinese people. So China is not one people group. There are 60 different people groups, different cultures, different dialects. And there is over 6,000 people groups around the world. And most of them, like 4,000 and some, don't have access to the gospel. I was thinking, God loves the people groups of the world. Jesus died for the people groups of the world. But wouldn't it be tragic if no one ever told them that? I just told you that God loves the peoples of the world and he's bothered by the lostness in the world. We ought to be bothered by it too. I want to show you this in Scripture. We've been in Revelation. Would you go over to the left and go to the book of Romans? Romans. I'll just show you an example of somebody who had a heart for a people group. Romans chapter 9. The Apostle Paul was greatly bothered by the lostness that he saw in the world. Especially the lostness that he saw in the people group he was most familiar with. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I speak the truth in Christ, I'm not lying. 
My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. What's he so upset about? What's he so disturbed about? What is bothering him? He tells us in the next verse. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. When Paul looked at the people of Israel, he saw people who did not have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And he wept. And he was burdened. And he was disturbed. And he was bothered that the people group he was most familiar with, most of them did not re- had not responded to the gospel. In fact, he uses a word. I want you to look what, it, what he says in verse 3. For I could wish that I myself were... What's that next word, church? Cursed. Cursed. That I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ or separated from Christ. The Greek word for curse is anathema. And it means literally to be delivered over to the wrath of, wrath of God for eternal destruction. Paul says, I have such a burden for the lost people of Israel, my own people group. Such a, I'm so disturbed that my own people group, that they've not turned to faith in Christ, that, that I wish... I wish and I'm willing to be delivered over to the wrath of God for eternal destruction if that would cause them to come to faith in Christ. Paul was willing to stay out of heaven and go to hell so that his brothers and sisters in his people group would not have to. Now, Paul, Why was Paul so bothered by the lostness of his people group? I'm going to give you two reasons. If I encourage you to write these down. I want you to think upon these things this week. Why was Paul so bothered, disturbed by the lostness of his people group? Here's the first reason. Number one, because of the hopelessness of those who don't know Christ. Because of the hopelessness of those who don't know Christ. Go over one more chapter to chapter 10 and look at the first three verses of chapter 10. Brothers, Paul is still talking about the people group, his own people group. Brothers, my heart's desire... And my prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. That's not their problem. But their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law so that everyone... Christ is the end of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone... Who believes? Paul was talking about the hopelessness of his people that they had a zeal for God, but it wasn't based on knowledge. They're trying to establish their own righteousness. They're trying to work their way to heaven. They were trying to obey their way to heaven rather than believe in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. So Paul says, I'm disturbed. I'm, I'm burdened by that. The hopelessness of those who don't know Christ rather than submitting to the righteousness that comes from God, they're trying to establish their own righteousness. And it occurred to me this week, I have seen that all over the world. I literally have seen people do that all over the world. It occurred to me this week that in every country I have visited on a mission trip, I've seen the hopelessness of people not knowing Christ. And I want to tell you something. When you go to the places of the world and you see the hopelessness of people 
trying to establish their own righteousness, trying to deal with sin their own way, it is a heartbreaking, distressing thing to, to witness. I've seen money being offered to lifeless idols in Brazil. I've seen the feudal devotion of followers of Muhammad as they flocked him to their mosque in places like Rome and in Indonesia, praying to a punitive God that provides them no hope and no assurance of forgiveness. I've been to Costa Rica where people flock to a basilica to pray to the Virgin Mary. I've gone to Vietnam and watched people burn incense and offer prayer to the guardian spirits. I have stood in their temple as they stood around me, burning their incense, looking at a lifeless idol and praying to the guardian spirits and clanging these bells to awaken the guardian spirits. I've been to China and I saw a bloody rock where chickens are sacrificed in a, in a neighborhood up in the mountains of China. Chickens are sacrificed to, to appease the evil spirits. I've been to a Buddhist wat or temple in Thailand where people bow down and they pray to hundreds of different Buddhas on that mountaintop. And the, the incredible thing was on the day that we were there, they were, they were making with their own hands another idol. Bigger than this church, they were making a huge Buddha with their own hands. Scaffolding surrounded it, and they were making it with their own hands. And one day they would take the scaffolding down and then bow down and pray to that lifeless idol. It's not hard to find people in places where, where the hopelessness without Christ is evident. You can go anywhere in the world and find places where people are hopeless without Christ. Look what Paul said in chapter 10 verse 3. He says, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. One of the reasons we, we ought to be bothered is because people don't have that opportunity to hear the gospel. They're, they're, it's, it's amazing to me how hopeless people are. Many times they don't even know it. Listen to me, listen to me. If all you've ever done was live in darkness... You've been brought up in darkness. And your family before you lived in darkness and was brought up in darkness. You don't even know there is light in the world. If you've always lived in the darkness, you don't even know there is light in the world. The second thing that I want to share with you today said... Why was Paul so bothered by the lostness? Here's the second thing. It's just the number of people who die without ever hearing about Jesus. Paul, I imagine as, I don't have a scripture and verse, but I imagine as he was saying, Brother, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. I bet Paul had some people in mind as he wrote those words. I bet some names and faces came to him as he wrote those words. I, I, and then I bet he thought about all those people he didn't know who don't know Jesus. And it began to be overwhelmed by the number of people living in Israel who had no hope. They had no relationship with God through Jesus Christ. They're still trying to establish their own righteousness rather than submit to the righteousness of God through Jesus. And the number of people who would die without really ever hearing the gospel is a disturbing thought. Does it bother you that people are swept into eternity without ever having the chance to claim Christ as their Savior? Does that bother anybody? you know that today there are more than 3.6 billion people living among the 6,504 unreached people groups? 
and it is likely that they will live their entire life and then die without ever even once hearing a gospel presentation. Oswald Smith says, we talk about the second coming and half the world has never heard of the first. Now, in our minds, because we're good southerns, listen to how I'm saying this, in our minds, because we're good southern Southern Baptists, we reason in our minds that if these people have never heard the gospel, and they've never had a chance to be saved, then surely a loving, good, merciful God will not condemn them to hell. That thinking would be correct to some degree. Listen carefully, don't misquote me. God does not condemn them to hell. Their sins condemn them to hell. Romans 3.23 applies to everybody all over the world. Those who have heard the gospel and those who have never heard the gospel, Romans 3.23 still applies to everyone. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That applies to everyone. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That applies to everyone. It applies to people in Powdersville just like it applies to people in Pakistan. If you and I were once lost and bound for hell until we repented and believed in Jesus Christ, the same destiny awaits those who have never heard the gospel. And you're likely to push back and say, Pastor, that's not fair. They've never heard the gospel. That's not fair. And I would push back and say, what's not fair is that you have heard it numerous times and they've never heard it at all. What's not fair is that we as Southern Baptists have the resources to send missionaries around the world to share the gospel. And 24,609 churches gave zero to the Light of Moon Christmas offering last year. That's what's not fair. You see, if it, were true that, if it were true that people who have not heard the gospel somehow are still going to get to go into heaven, if that were true, then our best missionary strategy would be silence. Our best missionary strategy would be, let's not tell anybody. So long as we don't tell them, they're not accountable. So let's just stay right here and not tell anybody. Shh! That's the best missionary strategy. Don't go tell anybody. Problem is, that's a lie. You see, when I read my Bible, I read my Bible, uh, and it talks about the urgency of taking the gospel to the whole world. When I read my Bible, it says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. And when I read my Bible, I, I see the opportunity for the entire world to come to faith in Christ. In, in fact, I, I want you to read with me. Just follow along as we skip down chapter 10, verse 13. I want you to read a few verses with me. Here, here's the good news. We need some good news right now to lift us back up. Here's the good news. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you believe that? Come on now, do you believe it? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't it wonderful that that's true? Everyone. People in Pakistan, people in Vietnam, people in Indonesia, people in, in Brazil, people in Costa Rica, people in Canada, pe people in Europe. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Listen, that is good news. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Verse 14, 
how then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? Even in the days of Paul, even in the days of the New Testament, they were wrestling with the question of, everyone has that opportunity, but how are they going to hear about it? Unless somebody is sent. In these three short verses, we see God's design for taking the gospel to the people of the world. Including the billion or so people who have never heard of Jesus. By means of rhetorical questions, Paul states in reverse order the condition necessary to call on, uh, for people to call on Christ and be saved. He says someone has to be sent from God, the gospel has to be proclaimed, the message has to be heard, and then salvation occurs. I just need you to underline verse 15 in your Bible. And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. The reading... Something from David Platt, and he said he went into a village. He and a friend and, and went into a village, and the friend said, we need to ask you some questions. We're trying to understand your beliefs. Asking the native people there in that village far away, and they said, he said, we need to understand your, your beliefs. And So let me, let, we want to ask you some questions. He said, first of all, who made you? And the village leader says, we don't know. I said, okay, who sends the rain for your crops? And the village leader says, no one has ever come to tell us that. He says, what happens when you die? We don't know. No one has ever told us. So they went to the next village, similar people group, to ask the same questions. And before they could even ask the questions, the village leader was very kind and welcoming. And he said, just a moment. I want to give you a drink. And he went into his little house and he came out with a red can of Coca-Cola. And he said, I realize the people in Atlanta have done a better job of taking their sugary water to the peoples of the world than the church has in taking the gospel to people who desperately need it. I love Mount Airy Baptist Church. I love your heart for the nations. I love that we give graciously and generously to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. My plea to you is simply this. Let's move forward and do even more. Let's go to even more places. Let's pray that God would just burden us with what burdens Him.
Father, in the name of Jesus, burden our hearts for the peoples of the world who have never heard the name of Jesus. And I don't know what that means. I don't know where that leads us. I don't know what you want us to do, but open our hand that we can give generously. Open our heart that we will go willingly. Open our mouth that we can share powerfully the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name I pray. Amen.